the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, back to Lifeline. All right, we are back. The time is 6.13 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Sorry about that. We're having some technical difficulties. We're going to try to see if we can make this work. If not, we will have to take a break um, for today. Let me go to line number three and talk with Kelvin from Belmont. Kevin, Kelvin, are you there? Hey, I'm here, Pastor Jesse. How you doing? I'm great, man. We're going to see if we can have a conversation. Otherwise, uh, we're going to have to just uh, call it a day. What, what's your thoughts, brother, on what we're talking about or, or the broader subject of what's going on in our society today? Well, I just think that, you know, a lot of this has to do with the history of America. And well, let me back up first. Uh, when we start to say all police are bad, it's like saying all pastors are good. Um but I think okay. one of the problems we have, even within the church, as well as in just those who have authority, is that if when the Bible talks about a good king, the people rejoice. Um, when we don't have good people standing up to bad behavior, then it allows everybody to be lumped into the same batch. That's why the Bible talks about purging, therefore, that old leaven, um, so right. that we can become a new lump. So that. That's one of the things I think the police has to do. Um, I work with the police. I'm a chaplain, and sure. when I go to the chaplain's uh, training, sometimes you can just see the um, the mentality because, like, just the videos that they show about them arresting people. I would say 85 percent are people of color being arrested, and so you have that mindset that these are the people who should be arrested. Mm -hmm. And so there has to be a change in the way in which um, the police deals with the community. And I do agree with you said that, because um, when I grew up, Officer McGee would come up to the school when we were in elementary. Absolutely. And, and that, I, we would, if somebody broke into the school or he came by and said, do you know, we would point him out. And right. it wasn't about Smith. It was like Officer McGee was our friend. Yep. And yep. so if you got in trouble, Officer McGee would come to your house, knock on the door, talk to your parents. But see, we we, we have a whole bunch of issues now because parents don't want nobody talking to their kids. Why are you talking to my kids like that? Just like, because he just hit somebody or broke in somebody's house. And <laughs> now exactly. Because your little kid is acting like, you know, a minister society. Yep. So... I think it's a lot of stuff that, that, that has been mixed into with the police and then our own community and uh, us not having fathers within the community. And, and this is just some of it is systematic to where, you know, the black family has been literally traumatized by removing the father uh, back in the 80s when crack was involved. And, um, and then just, it's just been a systematic, I think, uh, deterioration within the family. And I think the devil knows as well as black people know. If you take the father out, then 
it just it becomes downhill for the family altogether. You know what, man? Black people don't seem to know it. I, I mean, right now my heart breaks, uh, Kelvin, for what you're saying, because you're speaking both from experience on, on both sides, which I appreciate. The value of your call is that you're African-American, as am I. Uh, you're in the ministry, as am I. You are working on both sides of the fence, as do I, of knowing what, you know, the African-American culture is like, as well as the, um, the overwhelming challenges of law enforcement. And you found yourself having to push beyond just the narrow dynamics of officer versus citizen and deal with the larger context of uh, broken homes and unstable societies, particularly in the black community. The moment you start moving into the broken homes, fathers not present, black community, Kelvin, the Black Lives Matter is going to start throwing mud at you because they don't want us to actually deal with any kind of healthy, definitely not biblical self-criticism because this can't be a, a mutual problem. This has to be the problem of the white man and his, his system and we got to destroy that system in order for us to have justice, in order for us to have freedom and prosperity, but you already know that that's not true. And, and until we are willing to have the conversation that deals with everybody being responsible, um, we're going to just continue to uh, devolve into uh, uh, disenchantment. And then I really do believe that we're on the brink of a revolution. And like you stated, man, um, if our, if our leaders, this is why I raised the question, are we dealing with the blind leading the blind? If our leaders don't have a healthy understanding of the deficit of authority to citizen relationship, um, it's just wasting a lot of time. I, I listen to all of the politicians left and right. And I go, nobody really is wanting to deal with real substantial uh, systemic problems, not just in government, but in society at large. And you and I as Christians can easily affirm in a humble way that um, when, uh, when, 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 when righteousness is the foundation of a society, the people prosper and rejoice. And when wickedness is found either in the place of, uh, uh, of, uh, of, of, of authority or in the house, uh, church house, when we've got wickedness in the church house and wickedness in the courthouse or the White House, uh, then, then our societies are going to crumble. And I, I've said it a while back, man. Uh, we can talk all kind of policies, but as we systematically and relentlessly leave the word of God and leave God and leave Christ out of the equation, you're dealing with a sick body politic that can have no ultimate healing apart from Christ. Because we, we, we've grown up in a society now where God is secondary to yeah. us. Yeah. And the one thing we need to recognize is God is never going to take second place. God never. is not desperate. God nope. is not desperate. He's like, I'm number one, and if I'm not, I'll see you when you come around to where I will be number one. And that's Amen. why, though, you know, some of the some of the times I hear women saying, um, you know, I'm going to teach my, my son how to be a man. It's like, well, you can't. That's you right. You can't teach your son. You can teach him qualities of a man, but you can't yep. teach him just like I can't teach my daughter how to be a woman. And nope, I think a nope. lot of times we have this false narrative to where we think 
we can do it without God. And it's like, you can't. Can't be done. It can't yeah. be done. And the Christian that fails to keep this dialogue that you and I are having in the middle of the discourse is collapsing into the humanist argument of our world system. I, 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 it breaks my heart that somehow we can have be sympathetic to movements that are dealing with uh, fundamental and essential issues, but we've been told by the word of God that the heart is desperately wicked above all things who can know it, and that the only remedy is regeneration Without regeneration, the only other uh, system that can be employed where human beings are behaving in an ungodly fashion toward one another is severe and austere law enforcement. This is why I'm warning that we are losing freedoms because we have lost virtue. This is what the founding fathers said, Kelvin, about uh, you know, a, 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 a democracy operating out of a, re a representative republic can only stand to the degree that the citizenry operates out of righteous principles and understands the nobility of, uh, of the inalienable rights that come to us from God. But they, they also stated that, you know, we are hard pressed to look at any kind of history where society has been governed by noble democratic uh, principles, including Rome, including Greece, including the days of Aristotle, Socrates, and Plato. They, they had levels of corruption that are being reflected in our society now. So even though they could talk about democracy, they knew that they were living radically hypocritical lives because they were engaging in bondage-oriented practices. And this is where we are in our present day. And the local church, or the church at large, has to be a model of redemption as a pattern of hope for the society, or otherwise we have no moral or ethical or uh, rhetorical uh, uh, value in terms of the conversation. Listen, man, thank you for the call. That was uh, that was excellent, my dear brother. I got to take a break. When I come back, we'll pick up with your... How much time? Oh, 6.30. So I'm good. Okay, all right. Let me go to line number one and talk with James from the Bay. James, are you there? Hey, PJ. How you doing, man? I I'm good. What's going on? It's kind of incredible. Uh, well, I guess really it's not that before I even heard your topic. I was just thinking lines of uh, there's no way we can expect anyone, our leaders, to see clearly except they have a healthy biblical view, crystal centered view of what's going on. Without that, you're going to be lost. I mean, there's no way that you're going to be able to uh, successfully, successfully navigate anything, whether you're in politics, whether you're in government, whether you're in education. Uh, and, of course, some of it is obviously done purposely, you know, i.e., you know, the Antichrist or what have you. But, and then I heard your topic, the blind leading the blind. I'm like, well, wow, okay. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's just right on point. I mean, people are being emotionally... As you well know, uh, you know, emotionally given, I mean, emotionally moved, if you will. Uh, they, they won't look at a, a situation for what it's worth. I mean, I ask all our people, you know, coming from, you know, our background, being right here, you know, born and raised and say right here in Oakland. Sure. And I try to explain all the police officers 
are not bad. And it's right. not about white versus black is good versus evil. Because yep. the problem I have with and you be so outraged, you know, and do wrongs never make a right. I ask that question when we see and unjustly so a white officer or any officer taking the life of, you know, an innocent person that's not resisting, but yet and still we can make all kind of uh, street street memorials of us killing each other on the regular and just make street memorials of alcohol bottles and go on like there's no problem. You know? I, I agree with you. You are, What you're doing um, that's failing to actually be dealt with across the board, around the nation, uh, throughout the nation and around the world, I'm teaching this stuff. I'm sure you're keeping up a little bit, but I'm teaching this stuff on Fridays. What you're doing is, is calling us to accountability. And, and as I stated, uh, black people are not, not, not as an aggregate whole, particularly the, the, the ones that are disturbed, uh, willing to, to, to take responsibility. The, it is statistically factual that the vast majority of killings of African-Americans are by African-Americans. That doesn't even need to be argued. And, and until we are starting to face our own, you know, uh, uh, you know burgeoning Holocaust, um, th these problems are going to continue uh, in terms of no solutions. Uh, getting back, however, to... Um, some of the things that are being focused upon relative to uh, law enforcement and in, in, in inequities and in law enforcement uh, strategies and policies, we, we can push that. They, you know, they can push that. I, you know, when I say they, I say in terms of these organized movements like Black Lives Matter, they can they can push that. They can make noise. That's the, that's part of our constitutional right. Uh, a freedom of assembly and freedom of speech do that and if we can make if we can press uh local uh you know jurisdictions and local uh governments to to change policies uh and and and, and create a better atmosphere and a better set of protocols for interactions between police and its citizens then we want that outcome this is an incremental change that we can all afford to to try to have and and uh, and i think it can be done in fact i know it can uh james because it's done across the nation i said it earlier when we watch the news or watch any kind of news feed uh you know internet or television this is not a ubiquitous across the nation in every re, uh, district or region problem. This is a few areas around our world and our nation, rather, that are strategically problematic because of not only uh, systemic discrimination, but because we haven't uh, developed policies by which we could have really good relationships with law enforcement. But we do have to ask the question, because I grew up in the hood, and you know what that means, James, that we didn't want police officers nowhere near where we were when we were hooking and crooking. We did not want law enforcement anywhere near West Oakland, Cypress Village. We did not want them in Campbell Village. We did not want them in East Oakland, uh, uh, 69th Village. We did not want them on 84th. We did not want them on 91st. We did not want them anywhere that we were uh, doing darkness, making money, and even harming ourselves. We did not want law enforcement there. So you have a situation where law enforcement sometimes has to be where people don't want them, and that, that makes for a powder keg. And they still don't want them there. I know. Ways. And that's 
I know. What's sad, I mean, you have a population of people who can accept it, but then there's some that still want to go down the same, you know, go down the same road and and cry foul, but they really don't care. I mean, they're so disconnected and so disfranchised, you know, they don't even know. I mean, it's almost like the dead man walking. You know, I mean, they're just so, you know, disconnected right now. So, it's true. Uh, it's true. It's true that what you're saying is true. And what adds difficulty to this, if we were to simply stand back and look at what the uh, what the uh, what the dynamics are in the African-American community and parse it carefully, you, what you're talking about are older people who don't want trouble, who have worked hard who have labored to operate out of a meritocratic principle of keep your nose clean, go to work, pay your bills, live a decent life. That is um, the echelon of African-American communities that we would call the old school, the OG, who was able to figure out how to work hard, go to school, get a degree if necessary, or just become an excellent blue-collar worker. You've got that, that uh, eclectic going on, a beautiful component among all black people that we have to treasure as, uh, as uh, you know, uh, epic citizens who play a role in striking the balance. But then you have that element that has never, ever submitted to uh, the formal structures of get an education, get a good job, operate within the parameters of the law, uh, develop relationship skills where people who are already somewhat excelling within the strength and gifts that they have can open doors for you. They don't want to do that. They don't want to comply. They don't want to excel. And and then you have that alternative culture, and that alternative culture becomes the slick culture of uh, of uh, you know working between the lines and 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 dealing in behavior patterns that are suspicious and setting that that culture over against a law enforcement environment um, creates conflict in the African American community. Sh- short of them being killed by police. Short of them being killed by police, we all live with the sad reality of brokenness on that level. Because I don't, I don't agree with uh, outcomes such as what we had with uh, Rashard Brooks or even with George Floyd. But we have a community that has to actually answer to our brokenness. And if we don't, we will continue to be sidetracked by political agendas that really are not here to answer the real problems that's going on in our own community. Because quite frankly, according to the paradigm that they operate out of, they have no intention and nor can they fix the problems of our own society. That belongs to us and God. Unless we get real about change, it's not going to happen. Listen, I got to take a break. Two lines open, one 367 I will be right back. And now back to Lifeline. We are back. The time is 6 38 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Two lines open, one 367 one Let's go to line number four and talk with Roxy in Oakland. Roxy, are you there? Yes, I'm here. How are you? I'm good. What's going on? I am listening, and I don't even know where to start because as much as I'm listening, I just keep hearing things, and 
Pastor Jesse, I think that you have been sidetracked. Mm. All right, tell me what. Tell me why you think that. Because one, um, you know, you're talking about like the black crime in the communities and accountability, and those things absolutely exist. But that is not the point. What we're talking about is a systemic history of racism and biases that have posed a way of life that is normal for people. And if you are thinking about um, crime in in a neighborhood, there's so many factors that go into that. But even underneath all that, the basic right to human life or even a due process of law is still supposed to be there. And if my son was pulled over by the police for speeding, I don't know, uh, uh, registration is expired or something like that, he should have the same experience as a human being as the next person. And that would mean his friend, John, who was white and 19 years old. That is not what happens. And it should not be because he, say, lived in a neighborhood where crime happens. Um, because obviously, if you live in a black neighborhood, crime is going to happen with black people because that's the neighborhood where you live. That's proximity. That's what's going to happen. The fight to say that black lives matter it's not to say that we don't have crime in our neighborhoods. It's to say that my son's life is valuable and it should not be demeaned simply by the color of his skin. And that's what happens. And I am a, I am a believer. I know God is sovereign. But I also know that virtues and freedom are not mutually exclusive of each other, that I have a voice, and I can protest if I chose to do so or or give money if I choose to do so. That does not mean that I you know my my focus is not on Christ, but if you want to be heard, if you want to have the same basic human rights as another person, you have to be heard. You have to be heard. And that does not mean that you're not a Christian. It does not mean that you're giving up your virtues or your freedom. You have a right to be heard. My son should be able to leave our home and go from point A to point B without me worrying about that the reason why he'll be stopped and possibly killed is because he's black. Not because he's a believer, not because he's done something wrong, not because of anything other than the color of his skin. That's why people are protesting, and that's why people are angry. The two are not mutually exclusive, and it is a broader category. And what I mean by the two are not mutually exclusive, Roxy, is the issue of violence and crime for the African-American community and dealing with what's taking place in terms of the hue and cry about law enforcement uh, disproportionately applying itself in a wrong way to African-Americans is not, they're not mutually exclusive. I understand 
where you're coming from, and I'm sympathetic to it. I've already stated we have a right to protest. I, you know, I, I have I've been very personally diligently looking into Black Lives Matter, its history, its background, its agenda, and I, I, I its platform is unbiblical. If you go look, you can do it for yourself. I, nobody. Nobody is not is not hidden. They tell you what they're for. They tell you what they're for. And then we also know what's supporting them as well. So I, me for me, there's a lot of reasons why, while I will say you can protest. But as the Bible says in Exodus 23, verse 1 and 2, you shall not follow a multitude to do evil. Secondly, um, you're talking, Misty, like I'm not black. And you're talking like I don't have African-American boys. I do. And I was one myself. I grew up in the hood. I also grew up where I experienced um, what I would consider rough treatment by police officers. So I know it from experience. I've gotten pulled over so many times for what I knew exactly was just profiling, just plain out profiling. And you haven't heard me say that we don't need to do things. I said reform. This needs re reformation. There needs to be a reform. Um, I think if we could have a forum where our officers, police officers, all of them, could be in a room with a good representation of our citizenry, let's just say Oakland, uh, and really be able to have the conversation about how we perceive each other and what, uh, what needs to be done as a solution, I think that could go a long ways. This is the way I've been talking for the whole hour, two hours here on this program. I'm talking about solutions, and you're, you're talking about things like being saved and and things like that. I don't I don't get that, but I can say this: that I have never had to tell my boys uh, to do anything but be dignified young men when they go anywhere, and I I just don't worry about them driving while black and, and that somehow they're going to end up dead. I, I really don't. I really, I really just don't because I actually believe that for the most part with a few, with the, with re, uh, with regards to a few bad apples out there, even if they do get pulled over, if they, you know, carry themselves well in a dignified manner, for the most part, I do not expect any kind of calamitous event. And should that occur, should that occur, then we will deal with it. And I will understand it as to being the volatility and brokenness of our society. But no, I don't, I don't take the position that a lot of African-Americans are doing right now. I think we are being sidetracked and made to, um, made to divide even more deeply than we ought to. We should have conversations, but we, we shouldn't uh, broad brush as if all police officers everywhere are bad and, uh, and that uh, African-Americans at all times, um, you know, are doing the right thing and then end up, end up being killed. Um, are you still with me? I am. So, Two things. One, when I say um, Black Lives Matter, that's a statement that I'm not talking in terms of the group or the, the, the people that started. I'm simply stating that our children's lives matter. The, all children's lives. lives matter, I'm not talking about all, all the, children. the group or the, the, the movement. That, 
uh, the movement. I, I'm not talking about them. And I will say to you, if you have the luxury of that with your son, then that's great because that's not my reality. And I live in a very exclusive area. I live in a, a, a nice area. My son's friends are, most of them are anything and everything but black, but I still have that fear. How come? I still worry about it. My daughter was going to a game in, at St. Mary's College, and she got pulled over, and she, um, he gave her a ticket, but I actually sent an email to this officer, um, and I sent it to his supervisor, and I thanked him because it was raining. It was the first time my daughter had ever been pulled over, and he handled her very well. And my coworker's like, you shouldn't have to thank him. No, but I am, because the next time you pull another person's child over, he'll remember that I appreciated the way he dealt with my child. And this was my daughter. But, but you're I, affirming I to my him point. And to his supervisor, and I said thank you. It was her first time being pulled over, but he he handled it very well, and he he spoke with her, and I told him, I said I appreciate that, you know, and and I'm glad you gave her the ticket because she'll know not to be speeding. And when he emailed me back, he said that his child had been in a bad car accident, and he thanked the officer and the way they dealt with his his child as well. Um, so, Roxy. Yeah. You're, you, you're making my point. You can't hear that? No. You're making my point. But, but what I'm saying to you is well, Hold on, Roxy, hold on. Roxy, hold on. You're making my point. What I did for the whole program is talk about how important relationship is between law enforcement and citizens. And I really do believe that the big problem in our society uh, at large is that there is such a gap between the law enforcement as persons and uh, and citizens that it creates a hyper level of suspicion that turns into extremely bad communication. Uh, again, let's take, for instance, what happened with your daughter. You did something that affirms exactly what I'm saying. You were proactive to let the officer know that you appreciated what he did. And your daughter did not experience any kind of bigotrous, hateful, abusive, aggressive um, action on the part of the officer. I'm sorry. You're you're making my case. And, and I think it's important that we as African-Americans and everybody that if we're going to go after a particular uh, problem in our country to make sure that as we do go after that problem, that we don't broad brush it and turn it into a political dialectic where they're, they're perceived as all bad. Because that's why things are getting burned up. That's why buildings are getting burnt down. That's why people are fighting in the street. That's why there is such a, a an enhanced suspicion on the part of whites towards blacks. That's it's really bad. It's really it's really bad. So I'm not I, I'm I, I'm totally sympathetic to you as a woman, um, and your reality may be different than mine. But we live in the same place. Our kids have grown up the same way, yours and mine. Um, my kids did not grow up in the hood. They grew up in in, in well, uh, uh, you know, balanced neighborhoods where they could get a good education. But they were taught extremely well about what black life is about. And they were told and I continue to tell them and I know your kids. This is remarkable 
what we're talking about, but quite frankly, what you and I are talking about in terms of the difference in the way you are perceiving things and the way that I'm perceiving them, Roxy, this is not, this, the difference of perception, my sister, has nothing to do with being off point. I'm very sorry to say it has nothing to do with being off point. It has everything to do with, for me, having solutions that are different than merely protesting. We can operate on a micro level of uh, engaging our local law enforcement, and we can also be proactive in terms of federal and national policies. That's going to happen because of these types of things. They're not mutually exclusive. I don't, I don't think I'm on point, and I don't think you're on point. I'm only saddened and prayerful that you feel like you um, uh, are fearful for your son. I don't know where that comes from. I, I don't know where that comes from. I'm sorry about that, because I've got daughters out there just like you do. You know that. My daughters are meandering this world as professional women, as mothers, as college students all over this, uh, all over California. I mean, I've been dealing with this for 40 years as a parent, and and uh, and I've never had the perception uh, of 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 them, you know, f frequently being pulled over and just doggedly taken advantage of by police officers, whether it's in Oakland, whether it's San Francisco, or San Jose, or Castro Valley, or Davis. I I have. I have a much more optimistic view of the balance of what's going on in our culture than what I'm hearing in the media. And I'm sorry that you have that fear. And I hear it with a lot of African-American women, um, but, uh, but I'm sorry that that's there. When I think about your family, especially knowing your husband, I, I, I don't have any... You know what I, I've never imagined, Roxy? Are you there? Yes, I'm here. I've never imagined... Uh, uh, your son uh, being pulled over and acting belligerent with the police officer or um, uh, behaving in a fashion that would cause him to be in a compromised mode in a problematic mode. I do not see that. Pastor Jesse. Pastor Jesse? I'm there. I'm here. Okay. If you don't have that, then... You know, I mean, you, you live in a very privileged life because I, I, I don't care. My son tells me, Mom, I'm going over to Matthews. Can I, you know, I'll be back in a few minutes. I tell him, you be Roxy, careful. Roxy, hold on. I got to take a break. You and I will finish. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we are back. Um, Roxy, are you still there? I'm still here. All right. So, um... Tell me what you mean by I'm privileged. You're privileged if you have black sons and they leave out your home, leave from your home, and you don't have that worry, you're privileged. You're sitting okay. on a privilege that many of your brothers and sisters do not have, okay. period. And How I come, want you Roxy? to know, Pastor Jesse, listen, I want you to understand something, too, that... Everybody is so quick to say, you know what, not all cops are bad. And it's true, not all cops are bad. But because we are in this systematic, the, the fabric of this racism is so ingrained in American fabric, right, that when you have black and brown people living in communities and there's crime and things like that, 
there's it's, it's a hard way to find your way out of that. And the history of the police department, which has its roots with the KKK, and I'm sure you know that, they did not come into our communities to protect and serve. They didn't come into our communities to um, have, like the other guy said before, how they would, you know, be a part of the community. They came in um, to break down systems, crime, families. Um, the black family that you talked about, he said it broke down in the 80s. No, that system was set up long before then. I've been a social worker for 30 years. Prior to this, having a, a, a man in the home, a family, that system was set up to make sure that you didn't get any type of assistance or help if there was a black man in the home when he couldn't find a job and work. Again, this whole pattern of systematic racism, you cannot deny that that's there, and it has a history. And over years, that history has permeated so deep in society, it's going to take a lot more than just protesting to get this done, right? So, yeah, protesting is just a start. But there is a lot of dialogue, and there has to be a lot of conversations about how to work with America. And I'm talking about America, not like just it starts in communities, but it's such a bigger systematic structure to take on. You don't, you, you can't just say, you know, with people that are frustrated, people that have been beaten down, people that cannot simply be pulled over and ticketed, you know, and then you say something like act a fool. Listen, you cannot, you should not die behind a ticket, period. You should not die behind, you know, not turning on a, a turn signal. You know, that's I agree I, with you that you, I, that, that, I agree with you, I agree, Roxy, where our time is up. We will have to continue this conversation in the future. All right, everybody pray. Keep your eyes on Christ. Bless you. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Thank you.